0: Uh, last week we started uh, this series in Second Peter. We just finished First Peter uh, a couple of weeks ago, and last week we kind of gave an introduction. I'm gonna give just a bit more of an introduction. We're we'll going into the first three verses is what we're gonna try to cover tonight. I, I think it's exciting. You know, I was I was when I was studying and preparing this week for this sermon that you know I was thinking I wonder if I wonder if people are kind of sick of how slow we go or anything like that because we kind of put through it, but But at the same time, I think it's exciting because when when we finish this epistle, for example, I don't feel like, okay, we just check check another one off. We knock that one out. Because as we go through it, like we're going to do tonight, we're studying doctrine too. Like we might read a few verses and we're going to talk about the righteousness of God by faith. But we're going to take time to talk about the righteousness of God by faith. And so we finish 2 Peter, for example, or 1 Peter, Hebrews. We've not only learned... I believe we're learning that epistle, which is good because it's God's word, but we're also learning doctrine. We're learning the Bible. We're learning the teachings of the Lord as a whole. And because we're going to look at some other scriptures tonight, uh, besides here just in First Peter. So let's look at the, the first three verses. Read it with me. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power. It's a wonderful scripture. we have to highlight this one in our Bibles. According as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who hath called us to glory and virtue. We're going to stop right there. We might possibly get to the next verse. I'm not sure if we will or not. But uh, this Peter wrote this, most Bible scholars believe, about six years after the, the first epistle. It's written to the same audience. We looked at that last week because, you know, if you look in, in chapter 3, verse 1, the second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds in way of remembrance. He's writing to other believers, they've been scattered abroad. The places where they lived were named in the first epistle, in the first couple of verses. So we're not going to uh, go back over that, but it's the same audience, and this was actually the last epistle that Peter wrote before he was martyred for the Lord. And we talked about that briefly last week. Look at verse uh, 18. I'm sorry, uh, 13 and 14. Yea, I think it meet. Chapter 1, 13 as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. So we talked about that at the end of the Gospel of John. The Lord had spoken to Peter many years before this was written about signifying what kind of death Peter would glorify the Lord through. The Lord Jesus can be glorified through our lives and He can be glorified through our deaths. When we keep our eyes on Him, we die in the faith, Amen, and uh, not falling away or going off into a bunch of sin, but dying in the faith and, and in a way that honors the Lord. And the Lord chooses that. We don't choose that, by the way. So let's just real quickly that the theme, so to speak. I guess there's more than one theme, but he's what Peter is doing and the Lord's doing through Peter in this epistle is trying to encourage the, the Christian brothers and sisters. And there's a real warning. It seems a little more uh, serious, a little more sober, even than the first one. And the first one talked a lot about trials, right? Trials of your faith, being much more precious than gold, which perishes, right? Um, But this one is talking about a coming apostasy, a coming uh, deception, a coming falling away. And we talked about it last week as well that Paul is very similar to what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy and some in 1 Timothy as well. 2 Timothy was the last epistle that Paul wrote before he was martyred. And they were getting real serious about it. Uh, It's all serious, but but God was evidently showing them that in the last days perilous times shall come. That's what Paul wrote. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. And he gives a description of that. He says in the last days that men... Um, will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils you know, and depart from the faith by doing that. He says to to Timothy in the very last chapter that he wrote, I'm talking about Paul in 2 Timothy, he says, preach the Word. I beseech you therefore before God and Jesus Christ who will judge the quick and the dead is His appearing, preach the Word. The time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine. Can you, in your walk with the Lord... And just your experiences as a Christian in America today, in the world today, could you see how that's possible? Could you? It doesn't seem foreign or strange to me to say that a time will come when they will will not endure sound doctrine. I think we're seeing it. It's not. A, it's not a blanket condemnation of every person because God is always. I'm talking about in every era, every era when it looks like there wasn't two Christians on the planet, God always had at least. You know, He had a handful. He's had a, a remnant church and a faithful church. And so, but you can see it as a whole, as a pattern. What's happened in Christianity? That's why Jesus said in Luke, I believe, uh, 18, where He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Well, it sounds like a crazy question. People are getting saved. Look at the day of Pentecost. 3,000 saved a few days later at the temple. 5,000 saved. You might have thought, what's Jesus talking about when He find faith on the earth? Those were genuine conversions. Genuine healings and miracles taking place. But He's given a description that the hearts of men are going to wax cold. And and the love of many is going to wax cold. And they're not going to endure sound doctrine. And they'll turn their ears from the truth. That's a choice. And they'll be turned unto fables. That would be something false. It could be in the name of Jesus. Could be uh, still bound up in a leather Bible. And yet, what's being brought forth is not the rightly divided truth of the Word of God. And so Peter is warning the people of this. And he's also given an an, an admonition sort of a description. We're going to look at the description of these false teachers. I said that primarily Paul focused more on the, the, uh, the people like you and me, or just multitudes of people what they're listening to and wanting and desiring for the most part. But Peter's focusing on those teachers. What they're saying, what they're like, what's their characteristic, their nature, their heart towards God or not towards God, that kind of thing. So we'll be getting in some really interesting things. This epistle is only three chapters, but he wraps it up in such a wonderful way by talking about the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And we're going to talk about that when we get there. So, uh, these first few verses, okay? He's, he's putting some blessings before the people about uh, grace and peace be multiplied to you, so forth in verse 2, and the righteousness that we've obtained through Jesus. And so he wants to give them some blessings, it looks like, before he gets into the real warning. But he, these people, just like you and I, we're no different, y'all. We're no different. We're living in the same era as Peter did. And it was two thousand years ago, but I'm talking about on a biblical scale or a timeline. We're living in the Church Age, what you would call the Church Age. I'm not big on preaching like uh, all of the dispensations, like to the to the nth degree, but obviously we're living in that the last days, according to the Bible. The last days are the end times, the days from the resurrection of Jesus physically, bodily from the grave. Okay, which is a historical fact. From that day till the return of the Lord. Like I say, sometimes the Bible dissects it and gets it real fine-tuned as the rapture here and then seven years later, the second coming. We see that in the Scripture. Sometimes it's just talking about overall the return of the Lord. We have to rightly divide the Word by studying it. But still, we're in that big block of time and it's an important block of time between the resurrection of Christ and the coming of the Lord. I do believe in a rapture separate separate from the second coming the Bible teaches that. But so what we've all are no different than Peter or Paul or these scattered believers or those in Hebrews that we've studied in the book of Hebrews where we've all obtained obtained like precious faith. And that's what he says here to them that have obtained the like precious faith. Again, Peter does not magnify himself. And say, I've obtained this and you've obtained that. I'm this, and you're down here somewhere. Yes, we give honor to Peter. God put him in a special place that every man has not or will not be put in. Okay? We understand that, but as far as his salvation, he had to get saved by the same blood of Jesus that we did. The same Savior. The same grace of God. Same faith. And saving faith and repentance and so forth. And uh, that's what he's talking about here. So, Let's talk about this for a moment. The righteousness of God which comes through faith. The righteousness of God which comes through faith. I want to look at a couple of, uh, of scriptures. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to go kind of quickly just for time's sake. But turn to Romans chapter 3. Lord willing, one day, I don't know if it will be in Sunday school or Wednesday night or sometime, we're going to study Romans. No telling how long that will take us, amen? But we're going to study the 16 chapters of Romans. And uh, let's look at Romans 3, 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. There's no difference between Jew or Gentile. Is what he's saying here, uh, and he goes on to say, "All have sinned and come short of the glory of God." There is none righteous, no, not one. It's that passage. But he's saying here, the righteousness of God, which is by faith. There are different types of righteousness, but there's only righteousness. But there's only one that's really worth anything, so to speak. There's only one that's going to fit a man for heaven. It's the righteousness that God requires which is His own righteousness, by the way. God requires that righteousness in men that He created in His image. And then He knows that we're not that. We're, we're children of Adam and with that sin nature. And He requires that righteousness to be right with Him. And He provides that righteousness. He doesn't make some compromise. Keep this in mind. Every time you think about the Lord or you're witnessing to someone or you're thinking about salvation or sin and sinners and how we're reconciled to God, the whole thing, it's amazing that God can be holy, which He is, and uncreated and perfect and self-existent all by Himself. doesn't need us. Okay? He can create men in His image and then redeem sinful men unto Himself all the while without compromising His standard at all. Holy, holy, holy. That's what the angels are singing right now, right? Around the throne of God. Nonstop, day and night, they're singing. And the redeemed of the Lord. There's a song in the redeemed. They're going to be singing around the throne of God. Thou has redeemed us by your own blood. And made us kings and priests. I think Patricia was sharing that at the prayer meeting from Revelation 1, 5 and 6. But he can do all of that with a filthy, no good sinner, okay? And not compromise. He doesn't have to say, well, I'm going to bend the rules a little bit. Let's let him in. Don't men do that? Don't we do that? We lower we lower our standards. We just okay, colleges aren't requiring this you know, admission score anymore. And I'm just giving that for an example. We we lower our standards. We lower our standards what's decent behavior among people or what you can expect from an American citizen these days. You know, it's lower standard than what you would have expected twenty years ago or twenty five years ago. Somebody was hurt on the side of the road 25 years ago or something, you would expect people to stop and help. Now you're not just so sure if they're going to stop and help. Our standards lower all across the board. And we call it normal. This is the new normal. But God does not compromise. He offered His Son. Not by the blood of bulls and goats and so forth, but by His own blood. He's reconciled us. Here's a perfect, sinless, holy God who's going to impute and has imputed to those that have believed in Him His own righteousness, which is righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. There's nothing that compares to it. There's righteousness of men. There's righteousness of religions. There's righteousness of of whatever. But all of those are just talk. It's men comparing themselves to men. And this one's a little more righteous than that one. And here's God who's just uh, surpassing it all. Okay, I'm saying here's right. Look at my son. This is righteousness. Here's the righteousness of God, and He imputes it to every single man, woman, and child who truly puts that genuine saving faith in Him. Okay, and that's what we just read. Even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ, upon and unto all, and upon all them who what that believe. Let's read uh, 24 and 25. Romans 3 24 and 25. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Propitiation, we've said it before. If you What does that mean? It means an atoning victim. An atoning victim. He's it, it, in the place of a, of a lamb or a goat or a bull or something like this. It's actually God's own son. For to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare His righteousness. The Bible says that, that to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, if you kept reading, that He might be just. Who's just? The Lord's just. Just means good. Righteous. That He might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. That's an amazing thing. He is both just and He is the justifier. You couldn't say that of anybody else. I'm not a justifier. I've been given a ministry of reconciliation. I'm an ambassador for Christ like you are. We can tell others about Jesus and and pray for them and, and we're His ambassadors on the earth even with the Holy Ghost living inside of us. But we're pointing them to Jesus. The Holy Ghost is pointing them to Jesus. He is both just and the justifier of Him that believes. Can't separate the faith from from that. It's the faith because everybody's not justified. It's those that believe believe specifically in the Jesus of the Bible, historical Jesus, the prophesied Jesus that uh, Micah talked about and Isaiah talked about and David in the Psalms and Isaiah, the one that came in fulfillment of the prophecies. And so it's just very exciting uh, to know this. And this is what Peter's talking about. This is what you can turn back to. Uh, To 2 Peter, and it's also righteous of God. If you think about what's his character, what's his nature, it's righteous of God and right of God to justify and save men that put their complete trust in him. In other words, you put your complete faith in him, then he's not going to turn you away. He's going to do just what he said he's going to do to every single one. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. He's not going to turn them away. It doesn't matter. It's so on their deathbed, if it's genuine, you know, or wherever, he's, he's going to do what He says He's going to do. And what we're doing by putting our faith in Jesus, what we have done by putting our faith in Jesus, is that we are uh, we're allowing Him to be our righteousness. And we're not saying, make me better in the sense of, help me to try to catch up to your righteousness somehow we're by faith being robed in the righteousness of Christ. We're altogether undone, okay? Altogether unprofitable, altogether uh, sinful by our nature. And He doesn't take Randy or, or Dee or Matthew or Peter and make us better. He does in one sense, but that's not what He's interested in. He's interested in robing us in the righteousness of His Son, making us truly righteous and just, In his eyes, and when he looks at us, the righteousness he sees is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his Son. I'll just read this. You know the scripture, but it's Philippians 3 9. And Paul said, And be found in him, in Jesus, not having mine own righteousness, because he did have a righteousness. There was a righteousness to Paul's life before. Lost as a goose, didn't know the Lord. But there was a righteousness if you compared him to other men, okay? Here's how he lived and tried to live for God. Didn't even know the Lord, but he thought he was doing right. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, righteousness, which is of God by faith. It's of God. That means it comes from the Lord and it's by faith. That means I receive it by putting my trust in him and my, my trust in him alone. So it's the very righteousness of God. Now I just touched on this, I think, briefly last week, and I'm only mentioning this because we're talking about it in the context of uh, of apostasy and false doctrines, right? And false teachings. Again, it's it's not the false teachings of the Muslims or the Hindus or the Satanists that's going to trip you up or me up. It's the te- it's the false teachings and doctrines of the Christians or those that are in the Christian camp. Let's put it that way. I can't judge are they really saved or not, okay? But it's in that camp. And the Calvinists, for example, would have us to believe that uh, that Jesus that the Lord's righteousness is not for all. You know, there's a scripture that says Paul said all men have not faith. Well it's true, but the the, the Calvinists would say it's because God doesn't want them to have faith. That's literally what they would say. Well You know, the reason some men don't believe in Jesus and therefore go to hell is because God didn't want them to. He simply chose for them not to. I do do not believe at all that that is the Scripture rightly divided. They're the teaching on the Word of God or the heart of God. In fact, it's very opposite of the teaching of the Word of God. God desires that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what the Bible says, okay? And so... Uh, the reason that some don't have faith, if we want to know the biblical reason, because Paul did say all men don't have faith. Calvinists would say God never intended for them to. In fact, he chose for them not to, and they can't have faith, and they won't have faith, because it was God's own choosing. That's not what the Bible teaches. But all don't have faith. Why don't they have faith? I believe it's because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And when the Word of God is brought, they choose not to, to believe it, to heed it. Doesn't Jesus say take heed how you hear? How you hear? In other scriptures he says take heed what, take heed what you hear because what we hear is important. But it's also take heed how you hear. He talks about the, this, the parable of the seed and the sower. I think it's in all four of the Gospels uh, where he says that you know, their, old, their ears were dull of hearing. Isaiah prophesied of that generation that Jesus was going to be preaching to. And he said, he said their ears are dull of hearing. And they come to me, you know, and, and they, their eyes they have closed and their hearts are waxed gross. They've heard it, they've heard it, they've heard it. Well, let me tell you, David lived under the law. He heard it and heard it and heard it and loved it. He was a man after God's own heart. David's in heaven today. We're going to see him when we go there. Isaiah, Samuel, Daniel. You know, there's so many... Uh, but it's, it's, it's take heed how you hear. The reason that some don't believe and don't therefore receive the righteousness of God by faith and they actually don't have faith, is because when the, the thing that brings faith, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, and maybe it's just a little bit, but I share the Gospel with somebody, or you share the Gospel with somebody, or they come to church, or they hear it, and they read it, and it's what do you do with that that you're given? How far... In other words, I always say this, and I've read other men of God say it as well, that what do you do with the light that you're given? Do we have a lot of light today in our country and right here and what, what are we doing right now? We got a lot of light. We have the freedom to to pick up our Bibles and in every KGV and New King James, everything you want, we're exposed to and can be exposed to. But we're responsible to walk in that light, that spiritual light that we've been given. If I don't if I'm not obedient to the word that even if it's only that much word, if I'm not obedient to the light of the word that I've been given, this true light from the Lord, then I'm not going to make any kind of progress at all or come and be saved or come and grow in the Lord if I am saved. It's important that, we, um, that we're faithful to the light that we've been given. Alright? And so, I just wanted to, to touch on that real quickly. Now, let's look at this where he says, uh, grace and peace be multiplied in verse 2. And I just wanted to hit this real quickly. The grace and peace comes from the Lord. And Peter wants it to be multiplied. He's saying, I want this to be multiplied to you. That's a mathematical term, okay? I want, I want that to increase in your life. Grace and peace. We're not just saved with grace the day we get saved. And okay, now we move on to the next thing. We're, the Bible says we live by, by grace. We stand in grace. We continue in grace. These are scriptures, okay? I'm giving you little bits and pieces. The last verse of this epistle says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're not done with God's grace at all. We continue. We're saved by grace and we live by grace the whole way through. And that's that enabling of the Lord is basically what the grace is. Yes, it's unmerited favor. That's an accurate definition. But it also speaks of an enabling, a supernatural enabling of God's influence upon our lives. And so that is that is a proper definition as well. So he's saying this is to be multiplied in your life. And look how he says how the grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Remember last week I said in these three little chapters, the word knowledge in one form or another is mentioned 16 times. 16 times in three chapters. He's talking about knowledge. Epinosis. And this means full acquaintance to be fully familiar with, fully acquainted with, uh, like fully disclosed, full discernment. It's not a partial knowledge. like, you know, shook hands with some senator one day. Oh, I know him. You know, you just, you don't really know him. You just met him, but you know who he is and so forth. This has to do the same uh, same word that's given in John 17 about salvation, where Jesus is praying uh, at the Last Supper, and he says to his Father, this is eternal life, that they may know thee the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. No, that's how we receive eternal life, knowing God, we know him by faith. And so that's what's being spoken of right here. And uh, it's, it's the grace and the peace is going to be multiplied in your life. Remember, he's writing to believers. So I'm speaking to believers tonight. Grace, of the grace of God and the peace of God in your heart is going to be increased or multiplied as you grow in your knowledge of Jesus. They're not separate, they're together. Everything that we're going to be talking about, how do we discern the truth from an error? How can I tell that that teacher is a false teacher? All of it's going to come through our knowledge of the Lord. That's so why I said last week, and I'm going to say it every week, I'll just say it to our church as a whole, in general, that the answer to everything in these last days is going to be to press in you personally to press into the Lord more. Your church, Amen, press into the Lord, but you personally pressing into the Lord. That's going to be the answer. Okay, that's it's not beyond that. It's not real secret. That's going to be it. That's going to come. That's where our protection and everything is going to come from. And so let's keep reading. As according as his divine power. This is a, just a wonderful verse. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. There's that word again, knowledge, of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Divine simply means uh, theos. Okay, that, that, is that which belongs to the Godhead. People throw around that word, oh, this, 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 you know, whatever, this spaghetti is divine, you know? And we throw around that word for food or something like that. And actually, uh, the proper usage has to do with that which pertains to the Godhead. That kind of limits it, doesn't it? This belongs to the Lord according as His divine power. It's His power. And that word power there is the same word that we read uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And He talks about it. Um, that word power is dunamis. I know you've heard it before. We've talked about it. It means an inherent power. And one of the interesting uh, descriptions of this word is power to reproduce itself. You know anything else? Pretty much, uh, it's the, whatever's produced is a little bit less. You know, a lot of times, like uh, I know that in history, men have and inventors have tried to come up with some some kind of machine with perpetual motion that would, whether it's a clock or something, that would once you start it, it it'll never wind down, basically. But there's nothing. There might be things that are close or that last a long time in our sight, but there's nothing that would really perfectly reproduce itself continually. Okay? It does belong to the Lord. His divine power. And so, um, to reproduce itself, that means that the believers at the, the gate beautiful when Peter and John healed the lame man, the big crowd gathered to see what was going on and a notable miracle was done. That was the power of the Holy Ghost that healed the man, right? Power of the Lord, this dunamis power. And then the crowd gathered and they preached the Gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. The Gospel is. And 5,000 people got saved. And the life that was in them was the exact same life that was in Peter and John. It was no different. It wasn't a little bit, you know, the second degree, which is a little bit knocked off. and You know, you make copies of something over and over million copies or this copy you you compare it after you made five million then you compare it to the first one and say wow i didn't realize that it lost so much in the copying process but it's not that way with a new life in jesus because it's a new life in jesus and it's the same christ in us the hope of glory and he has not diminished at all and so according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue. That's the calling of God upon our lives. And I I love this verse. And and to me, one of the things that ministered to my life from this verse is that it says He's given us, as past tense, right? To every believer. He's given us all things. It doesn't say some things, most things, the most important things. It says, according as His divine power, that's the Holy Ghost in us, all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And basically that's saying a godly life. Okay? To, have to, to live this life in Christ now. Here I'm this lost man. Somebody brings me the Gospel and I put genuine faith and I believe it. And I'm still just this... You know, I know very little about the things of God and so forth, but I believe that Gospel and I believed it was for me and I believed in Jesus with a genuine saving faith. There's a whole big life out there ahead of me, right? you get somebody that just prays to give their life to the Lord, that's why it's so important that those believers be discipled right away. I mean, right away. Not we'll see you in a year and hope you come to church, but uh, that they be discipled. So there's this big life ahead. It's new. It's all different than the life I had before. And in His divine power... Has given us all things that pertain to that life. What does he give? What would you uh, bundle up in that about all things? He's given us his word. That pertains to it, right? In a big way. He's given us the Holy Spirit. Christ actually in us, the Holy Spirit of God. That's this dunamis power. He's given us uh, even angels to help us out. We don't think maybe a lot or talk a lot about angels, but. They're angels or the ministering spirits of God. We not might not even be aware of how they're helping us. He's given us a church. He he's given us uh, so much that that, he, but he's given us all that we need. And when I think about this verse, I remind myself, you know what? Instead of complaining to God, I'm as a believer, okay, maybe you've never done this, complaining to God because I struggle in this area. You know, ten years later I'm still I wish I was here and I'm here in some spiritual part of my life. Uh, but it's not that God has shortchanged us, so to speak. He didn't jip us. You ever been jipped by somebody? Bought something off an of infomercial? <laughs> Say, this is the job. You know? They jipped you. Uh, God didn't jip us. He gave us everything. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, what is my responsibility in that? He's given me all those things. I need to be aware of what He's given me. And I need to use or avail myself to what He's given me. If He's given me His Word and I put it on the bookshelf and it stays there for the next six months, I, can say, I can't say, well, God, You didn't give me what I needed. I've giving You my Word. I told you, man shouldn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If You'd asked me to... I'd speak to you through it. If you pick it, pick it up and read it, I would speak to you. I would guide you. I would do that. And I want to do that. And I'm guiding you to My Word right now if you'll listen. Because He's convicting us that we haven't read the Bible. He's given us what we need. But I do have the responsibility to, to walk in that. To walk in that. Whatever it is. If He says, be not drunk with wine when it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit... He means for me to be filled with the Spirit. That's part of what He's given me according to His divine power to, to live a godly life, right? So it's important that we do that. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just, again, very thankful. And I think about the Scripture in Romans A where it says, uh, if God spared not His own Son, but offered Him up for us all, how shall He not also with Him freely give us, what? Some things? Most things? Is all things. All things. That's similar to this, right? Don't ever feel... It, it ought to bring us great confidence. Okay, God, You've given me everything I need. Do I need Him day by day? Absolutely. I need the Lord day by day, but He's given Himself to me day by day as well. He's given Himself to me hour by hour, moment by moment. You wake up in the middle of the night, and you're scared, you had a bad dream. You know, you need Him right then. He's there for you right then. I need Him continually. There's never a time I don't need Him, but He's there for me all the time. He's given Himself to me. And so uh, rejoice in that. Be thankful if you're counseling someone else that may be tended to feel, well, God did this for for you, Jordan, but He he wouldn't do it for me in my Christian walk. And I'm really coming up short. and, And maybe they wouldn't say these words, but they're thinking God played favorites. God did this for Jordan, but he won't do it for me. And they, again, they might not say that. Maybe they would. But to, to, to know that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So I need to walk in that. And guess what? I even need his help to walk in that. So he helps me to walk in that. And I need him to remind me. And two times here, Peter's saying he wants to stir up the believers' minds in way of remembrance. I need the Lord to remind me. By the Holy Ghost and by His Word, maybe a sermon I heard, maybe a Scripture I read, maybe something a pastor said one time. I need the Lord to remind me: go back to God, go to His Word, go to this, go to. But He's given me all those things, and I, and He wants me to walk in them. And that's where the uh, that's where the godliness is going to come from. It's going to be produced, and this we're going to move into uh, more probably next week, but. Um, it's going to increase the godliness, okay, the grace and the peace and all these godly attributes in our Christ likeness. Everything is going to increase as our knowledge of Jesus increases. Our knowledge of the Lord increases. Again, don't separate the two, don't segregate the two, and say, I really want more peace. But to be honest with you, I don't want more of maybe some other attribute of God. You know, I'm not interested in more patience. I just want more peace so I can sleep at night. He's not going to be divided up in those little sections like that. The peace of God and the grace of God and the godly virtues that we're about to study are going to come as our knowledge of God increases. Every believer has a measure of of grace and peace and all, all of these godly attributes. We're going to study next week about growing in these things, adding to your faith virtue and, and to virtue knowledge and so forth. It's a real uh, wonderful passage, but I wanted to uh, to close with this. Okay, Peter talks a lot about our calling. He talks a lot about our calling in the Lord. And here he talks about how we're called to glory and virtue. I want to read this. <clears throat> and we're going to close with this tonight. It's a call to develop a strong Christian character. That's what we're about to move into. This passage, starting in verse 3, what we just read, should be of an immense interest to every Christian because it tells how we can keep from falling in this life, talking about the apostasy and so forth, and how we can be assured of a triumphal entry into the next. First, we are sure that God has made full provision. That's the all things that He's given us. We can be sure that God has made full provision for us to have a life of holiness. You and I have no excuse to not be holy. A lost man is lost. And he's not holy. He can't be holy even if he was very religious and tried to mimic the Christian life. He cannot be holy. He is not holy. And he can't be. He's just by nature a child of wrath. That's what he is. He can come to Christ freely and be saved freely by His grace. And then then there's a call of holiness. As He who has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's our lifestyle, our conduct. That's our day-to-day living. That's not just our standing in Christ which is holy in Jesus. That's our daily behavior and conduct and growing in our Christ-likeness and the fruit of the spirit, and how we interact with people, and in our in everything, and our minds being renewed—it's all of that. So God has made full provision for us to be holy. That is, He didn't shortchange us. And well, He knows. And I get so tired of when believers make excuses of why we're not holy. Oh, you—you know, just a legalist. You just preach that all the time. It's all—it's all about grace, and you're just preaching the law, and and so forth. But no, it's not. I just quoted a New Testament Scripture. As He which is called you is holy, so be ye holy. That's a New Testament Scripture. He says right here that He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness or godly life. So, He wants us to live that way. I don't live that way apart from Christ. It's impossible. Even as a believer, if I try to somehow separate my life, my salvation, I'll put it on the shelf here. And my behavior in life, I'll try to do on my own over here. Can't do it. Okay, cannot do it. It's going to happen as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord. And so, uh, don't make excuses for not being godly. I'm talking to myself. Don't make excuses for not being godly. Ask God to forgive you and ask Him to help you be godly. It's really not that, that difficult. He doesn't stop loving me when I sin or I fail to be godly. He doesn't no, no longer call me his child anymore because I sinned or I'm making slow progress in my, my holiness. Uh, he helps me. He's a very present help in trouble. But don't make excuses for it and say, well, it's the world we live in. Or, well, you know, that's the old preachers trying to put too much bondage on me or whatever. It's, it's a call of God. Forget the preacher. Just read the Bible. That's what he tells us to do. So this provision is is like this evidence of His power. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'm reading a few more paragraphs here. Just as His power saves us in the first place, so His power enables us to live holy lives from then on. Remember I gave a little example. Here's a guy that just prayed, gave his life to Jesus, a big life ahead of him. The same Christ, that saved me, and the same power that regenerated me and, and gave, gave me this new birth and new life, that did happen at salvation, that same power, the power of the Lord, is going to also enable me to live the life. However long it is, however difficult it is, if i got a bunch of Christians around me or no other Christians around me, a wonderful church, or the whole world's fallen away into apostasy, He's still giving me all that I need. The same power that saved me, is the same power that will keep me. Not only keep me by the skin of my teeth, but keep me in an overcoming life and keep me uh, pursuing on in this godliness. And so, the order is this. First the life, that's the salvation and the new life, then the godliness. The life and then the godliness. And you might see where some of the religious zealots might try to pursue the godliness, so to speak, first, hoping that will bring them to eternal life. And it's not going to ever work that way. Christ is the only way. The gospel is the power of God to save from the penalty of sin and from its power and from the damnation and from the defilement. To all things that pertain includes the work of Christ on the cross as our high priest. He's given us that, right? What does the Bible say in Hebrews? Right now, He's our advocate. Right now, He's our high priest. He's interceding and we can go to Him all the time, but we don't go to Him all the time. We go to Him sometimes. And He's ever interceding. He ever lives to intercede, right? And and that's part of the all things that He's given us. It would be uh, His priestly work as, as our mediator. It would be the ministry of the Holy Spirit. As I said, the Word of God. And the power to live a holy life comes through the knowledge of Him who called us. And the divine power is the source of His holiness. And to know Him is eternal life. And to pro- progress in knowing Him is going to be to progress in our holiness. Now I'm just going to close with that. The better we know Him, the more we will become like Him. Peter said we've been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Peter said we have been called to follow Christ in the pathway of suffering. That's 1 Peter. We have been called to return blessing instead of reviling. We've been called to eternal glory. And we have been called to glory and virtue. He talks a lot about our calling. And how am I going to get it? I'm called to do that. God's put it in my heart. We know it's what I'm called to do. You know, if somebody tried to say, you know, Reynolds, live this way. I know you're a Christian. All that's fine. But do this over here. And it's something ungodly. Or a different pathway. You could You could compromise... But you know that in your heart, you have a conscience and a heart and a mind and a new, that's been renewed. And you know that's not my calling. Even a good thing. What if I said, you know, Damon, uh, uh, I believe you should go be a, a missionary to India. But it, what if he's not called to do that? He knows in his heart the calling of God. Or God will show him. If he doesn't know it yet, he will know it. There's callings upon, of God upon our life. And one of those, He's called us to glory and virtue. So if I'm living a compromised life and I know it's a compromised life and I really have no desire or pursuit after holiness, I know that that's not my calling. I'm missing it. Get with the Lord. Let Him fire you up again, so to speak. Let Him refresh and renew that calling. And then call upon Him for the power to live it. And we're going to close with that. So y'all, this uh, we're going to move into some really wonderful stuff. Starting in verse 4. I don't know if we'll get all the way through 11, but it's one thought... From verses four through eleven, and uh, I just encourage you maybe read it. You know, read it before we meet next Wednesday night. Well, next Wednesday we're gonna we have a prayer meeting, but um, read it before we meet, and uh, we're gonna study that together. But can we just take a, a few moments to pray? And we're gonna pray for Alberto and Dalen in a minute, but find a little place. I'm not gonna rush you on this. Find your place to meet with the Lord.